Highways Voices, the podcast of Highways News, your one-stop destination for all the news about the highways and transport technology industries, and our must-read daily newsletter. Welcome to this special Bumper Highways Voices from Lisbon and the ITS European Congress 2023. I've got to be honest with you, Paul, I walked in here half an hour ago not knowing very much about uh, intelligent transport uh, systems, but in that half an hour I've met half a dozen very exciting, very creative, very innovative British companies, all very enthusiastic about the technologies that they've been developing, and it's already very apparent to me, and I'm very proud to, to be able to see that, that, that the UK is clearly right at the forefront of this, this sector. Today we chat to everyone on the UK Pavilion, an initiative by the Transport Technology Forum and Elkrig and supported by the Department for Business and Trade. We'll hear from the UK Ambassador and a record 12 other guests on today's podcast as we take a whistle-stop tour around the exhibitors supporting the initiative. And because we've got so many guests, let's not have me waffle on. Let's hear from four now. Highways Voices, the podcast from highwaysnews.com. Hi, I'm Nora from KV Intelligence. I am the International Channel Manager. Today we have, we've brought along a Connex. A lot of people in the industry might know our count and classification hardware. We use that with LiDAR sensors to count pedestrians and cyclists and on its own as a Connex traffic for vehicles. And obviously there's such a focus at the moment on walking and cycling and so so this product is kind of perfect for now exactly um, i think there's been a huge rise in active travel data a lot of people are using this new information that they're gathering to to figure out cycle lanes and, and pedestrian walkways etc the connect active has been a huge hit uh, both in the uk and international markets and a couple of weeks ago, I ran a news story on Highways News about your solar light product being uh, replaced in Cambridge on the guided busway. That's a, an active travel solution because you're helping keep people uh, safe while they're walking and cycling. Looking here, you've got your traditional solar lights, which are the solar-powered road studs, but you've got a, a, a new version that appears to clip into a sort of traditional road stud shoe. Exactly. So the standard solar light has been around for quite a while and we've, we've managed to um, increase the lineation by 10 times and reduce accidents by 70%. So that product almost speaks for itself. As you rightly said, we've just replaced um, a ton of these uh, in Cambridge here on the bus routes. This is more for pedestrians rather than drivers, so we can use it in both applications. The new solar light, the, the click version, is essentially just for ease and deploying and also after the 10-year lifespan of the solar stud you'll then be able to replace it pretty quickly rather than core drilling them into the ground and coring them out internationally this will also be used as a surface stud so we'll apply some resin to the bottom and stick them flat onto the road surface and you say about internationally yeah. clearview intelligence has been around for many many years in the uk decades in the uk how difficult is it for an SME to actually break into new markets and how important therefore is being on the UK pavilion to give you that opportunity to get a bit of a profile in an event like this? I think the UK pavilion is a great opportunity for us to reach a wider audience. As a company we have over the years done a lot of international business but mainly transactional. We are now trying to develop our partnerships with global companies and other other companies that are like us in, in 
other territories. It's been successful so far. I also have a lot of support from the company itself. Our managing director, Nick Lanigan, is very passionate about the, the growth of the company in terms of the international sector. It's been difficult, but I think with all the resources that we have available to us as, as SMEs in the UK, there is a lot of support and initiatives like the UK Pavilion really do help us. Hi, I'm Sam Bradley. I'm the Business Development Manager at Nikanda. So Nikanda have brought with us our 3D digital representation of the tunnel in Stockholm. The tunnel itself is about 22 and a bit kilometres long. We digitised the tunnel across in Stockholm uh, to resolve a problem that the traffic vacate were having about the timelines and the, the project budgets. What we were trying to do is to bridge the gap between technology and construction using a digital twin to provide a segue between the two so that one could be tested against the other without the other one needing to be in place. Many of the other people exhibiting here on the stand are looking to grow their business in Europe. I first chatted to Nikander, I think, back at the ITS World Congress in Vienna in 2012. So, you know, you've been showing off for well over a decade. You've been building business in Europe for well over a decade. How big is your overall European footprint? Our European footprint is around about 80% of our total revenue for the organisation. Uh, we've got a very, very strong foothold within Sweden, where we've built the vast, vast majority of our capability. And what we're looking to do now is to take elements of that capability and our good ideas and innovations and then broaden them out across Europe. How easy is that? Because there'll be other SMEs that will want to not copy your success but uh, take the best elements of it and I think they would they would love to have your success in Europe. What advice would you give to them? Work with your customer. Our successes have been born really from collaborating and really understanding what their problems are. We pride ourselves on our ability to solve the problem rather than sell our products and I think that, that's kind of how we differ and set ourselves apart so I would suggest listen to your customer and therefore being on the uk pavilion for you i guess gives you that cost effective way of having a profile here in lisbon you have been doing that for over a decade it must work it absolutely does the the opportunities that the ttf give here is a very very cost effective way of meeting a lot of people that we're just unable to get in front of it provides us the, the credibility of such a prestigious organisation that we have here and gives us confidence in what we say because these guys are, are behind thinking they're, uh, they're worth the time. So we're, we're very proud to be here. I'm Laura Jacklin and I'm Commercial Development Manager at Grid Smart Cities. We look at the curbside and we look at curbside management for freight and delivery vehicles and how they can book and reserve the space. So we work with both local authorities and the private sector to manage the curbside for everyone. How do you manage it using technology? The technology aspect means that two different organisations, so Freight and then also Local Authority, can now speak through this one platform. So the Local Authority can give a space digitally to a freight operator who can then see it on an app. So it enables the kind of no confusion of what's going on where at what freight space. 
the authority gets to see what the freight are doing in that space so the tech enables to collect a lot of data that currently is just not found and also create a new relationship between both the freight sector and those who own the space and it can be for local authorities owning space it can be for landowners so it's basically collecting what these little micro areas are doing and how we can better manage them between certain aspects of the day all sounds lovely what's the point what benefit does it give to a city it will reduce congestion because there will be people not circling around for certain spaces which then improves air quality and it also enables you to sweat an asset so look at that asset in in a better terms and make it usable for different people throughout the day so in a way you're just better managing you better use it more people can find a positive way of using it and you've got a project already up and running (laughs) in london What are you doing in Europe or is being on the stand here in Lisbon giving you opportunities to try and widen things out beyond the borders of the UK? Yeah, so in the UK at the moment, especially in London, we're looking a lot of legislation, regulation. So here we get to kind of see what other cities are doing and whether they change the way that they look at curbside. How does their curbside differ? How does their parking differ? So being on the stand enables us to go and look at what tech is out there at the moment and see how they're using that tech for those spaces. So the stand has really helped us to kind of widen our view but also understand that every city is very different so how best could the tech be used for them that's near a river near you know a very vertical slope you know there's it's completely different the makeup so it's, it's really handy actually to see what europe are doing hi i'm danny willard representing vsos so danny we've had e-call in new vehicles for five years or so yet your company believes that we're not maximizing the opportunity that we get from the data that e-call is producing yeah that's correct i mean the focus on e-call has been very much on on the voice channel as in the emergency services will speak to the occupants or attempt to speak to the occupants of the vehicle initially the data provides the location of the vehicle But beyond that, there is much more data which has not been exploited, and that's what we're about. So how do you exploit it? So I think there's a number of use cases that we're developing. The first one is for the road operator directly to receive that data, to understand exactly whether it's an airbag alert or an SOS alert, to know if that vehicle has left the road. We can tell from the location and the previous two locations. We can then tell you what type of vehicle it is, whether it's a car, registration plate and the colour. For the emergency services, that's valuable information, particularly fire and rescue services who need to know whether it's an EV or whether it's a petrol vehicle. And also the number of occupants is critical for that. And I think a new use case that we're now currently looking at is vulnerable drivers. The ability to know whether that car is registered to, in the UK, motability, to know whether that driver is is unable to extricate themselves from a crash vehicle. So I think there's special treatment. So lots and lots of things that you can do with the data. It's surprising to me that you've got this data and I would have thought that emergency services would have bitten your hand off for it. The fact that eCall has been produced to help them. Where's the disconnect here? Education. <laughs> the lack of 
I think that the thing is that we've had equal mandated, as you say, for five years. The public doesn't know about it. The car dealers are very vaguely aware of it, but what it does and a lot of misinformation. And certainly on the emergency services, very few people know about it. So I think part of the work that we're doing is also developing with organisations like National Highways an education campaign to teach drivers that eCall exists in their vehicle, to teach them when to manually invoke it, i.e. to press the SOS button, and a whole raft of, you know, sort of things that we can do to educate the whole chain from the automotive manufacturer down to the driver. And obviously eCall was mandated by the EU when we were members of the EU. That's why eCall is mandatory in all UK new cars. Here we are at a European Congress. What opportunity do you have for Vsauce beyond the British borders? There is no reason why our use cases and technology that we're now to proof of concept stage, there's no reason why that cannot be implemented throughout all the 27 member states of the EU and beyond. Work in Australia, work in the Middle East, and whilst it operates very differently in the US, there are still some opportunities for that, but I think our focus is on UK, Europe, and, and then beyond. Danny Woolard from Vsos there, and before that, Nora Ali from Clearview Intelligence, Nikander's Sam Brearley, and Laura Jacklin from Grid Smarter Cities. Highways Voices, the podcast from highwaysnews.com. Highwaysnews.com. On Monday, the British ambassador to Portugal, Chris Sainty, came to the stand, and there was a drinks reception to promote the British innovation. After he had met all the members of the UK Pavilion, I caught a few minutes with him, and we discussed what he made of what he'd seen. Well, Paul, thanks very much, and it's, it, thank you very much for inviting me to be on your, your podcast. As British Ambassador, one of my responsibilities and one of the things I take most seriously is my job to advise and to support British companies who want to engage with the, with the Portuguese market, who want to sell into the Portuguese market and export their goods and their products and their services here. I've got a fantastic team here in Lisbon uh, working with me from the Department for Business and Trade, but of course something like the ITS Congress is a sort of brilliant ready-made opportunity for British companies to come and sort of exhibit their, their product to a, an almost captive and very expert Portuguese and, and European audience. And so it feels like it's too good an opportunity to miss. And, and we're here really just to, to help those companies make the right connections and hopefully do profitable business here in the future. Okay, so you've just come from the Clearview stand. So say Clearview wanted to really crack the Portuguese market with their solar road studs. How could you help practically? Well, I think the key thing would be to to find them the right people to talk to here in Portugal. It's all about it's all about those sort of personal connections and relationships, and that's where my team at, 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 at DBT, uh, who sit in the embassy, come in, because I've got a dozen or so very very dedicated professionals here who have an almost encyclopedic knowledge of the Portuguese economy, the Portuguese business landscape, as well as a kind of telephone directory of, of, of useful contacts and and, and, and networks, uh, and so. I think the first step would be to connect with, with, with the, the DBT team here in Lisbon uh, and take it from there. They will, they will then create the connections that would enable good business to be done. And does it work the other way around, i.e. if a British company found a Portuguese company that could become a supplier, you can help get over 
any import hurdles into the UK? It's important to, to, to be clear that our role, I think, at the British Embassy and, and the DBT role here in Portugal is basically about encouraging and promoting British exports to Portugal. And I think what you've just described is, is the other way around. And, and for that reason, it's really more the responsibility, I think, of the, the Portuguese equivalent of DBT to sort of promote their... Portuguese products into the UK. But having said that, we're always interested in helping British companies grow their business and, and succeed. And so to the extent we're able to, we would be very, very happy to facilitate contacts or indeed put British companies who are in that position in contact with the with the relevant Portuguese organisations. And finally, I'm always fascinated to meet people at events who don't necessarily have the understanding or knowledge of anything involved in transport technology. So I'm just interested, you in inverted commas as an outsider. What do you make of some of the innovations that you've seen on the UK Pavilion today? It's absolutely fascinating. I've got to be honest with you, Paul, I walked in here half an hour ago not knowing very much about uh, intelligent transport uh, systems. But in that half an hour, I've met half a dozen very exciting, very creative, very innovative British companies, all very enthusiastic about the technologies that they've been developing. And it's already very apparent to me, and I'm very proud to, to be able to see that, that, that the UK is clearly right at the forefront of this, this sector. We're here at the Congress with a very prominent stand, and, and I, I very much hope this will lead to some great business deals in the future. Ambassador, thank you ever so much for your time. Uh, enjoy your rest of your visit here. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Highways Voices, the podcast from highwaysnews.com. This is Paul Hutton with Highways Voices. Now back to the guests and someone who is most definitely not me. Paul Hudson, Head of Sales for Now Wireless. We provide secure military-grade wireless communications to on-street applications, and they can include sensors, air quality sensors, Bluetooth journey time sensors, all of which we also provide. What are you providing that actually helps make the uh, traffic flow better, more efficiently, safer, and therefore fewer emissions? Using our air quality sensors and Bluetooth journey times, we can look at route analysis, we can see where the, uh, the roads are busiest. We can look at working with the councils to put in a plan to maybe gate traffic away from hotspots like care homes and schools. And we can also look at helping them see if their plans are successful by putting in air quality sensors and measuring the air quality before and after their plan. For example, if you open up a bus lane and allow taxis to use it. Is that going to improve air quality or make it worse? These are the things that we can help the councils with. Now, we've been talking about this for many, many years, yet it still seems like a great new idea when you talk to people. Does it frustrate you that it, it's something that, for you, it seems so obvious, yet it is still, in a way, seen by some people as a kind of fringe thing on the, on the edge of what they're doing with the day job? It certainly is frustrating, certainly with the wireless part, where we've been doing this for... 20 years and still we have councils coming up to us saying oh, I don't know about you I didn't know we could help save money for air quality again we did this for the last 10 years we did a project with TFL looking at the link to journey time and air quality and the longer the journey time the worse the air quality is so hopefully we just keep marketing and telling people a message and it'll sink in eventually and you're on the UK pavilion at the European Congress so what is your current European footprint and where do you want it to be? It's great being on the UK pavilion it's great to be part of something that's a lot bigger than we are and just to have that excitement and buzz and also meeting other companies on the stands that's doing something similar to what we're doing and how we can partner and work with other companies 
in the UK? We're only in Europe in a few places, so in Ireland, in Malta, randomly, and in and other few a few trials happening. What we'd like to do is uh, break out a lot more into the European market, see more trials happening, show that the UK is a place where innovation is happening, and that the technology that we're providing is equal to anything else that's out there at the moment. Deborah Kabauka, CEO, Ito World. So Ito World are experts in transit data and in particular public transport data. So we bring together whole disparate sources of um, static data, i.e. timetable data, combine it with real-time data that's coming from GPS sensors on buses, for example. We bring that data together and that enables us to capture analytics such as real-time performance. We also so pull that data together at a city level and we provide that city level data back to some of the world's biggest journey planners so that passengers can use those journey planners to navigate their way through their public transport journeys. So basically when I, for example, here in Lisbon want to work out how to get from my hotel to the airport on public transport, somewhere along the lines, would I be using your data? Yeah, absolutely. So if you're using a journey planner, the chances are that you are using data that has come from Ito World. What's it like being, I'm just interested in this, such a white label organisation, you're a vital cog in the machine that nobody's heard of. Maybe, and we probably need to do a better job of shouting about it, but that's often the case with technology, is you're the secret source, you're the power behind something that in the consumer world is better known and well used. But it is important to give that data to the passenger because as I saw at an event a few years ago, one of the most useful things Transport for London did was on the tube stick the dot matrix signs up so that you could see how long you were waiting for the next train and actually it's a lot less stressful to wait six minutes but know you're waiting six minutes than to wait three minutes but not have a clue when the next train is coming and I guess it's the same for buses but in fact where you're getting your data is either from the sign on the bus stop or alternatively in the phone in your pocket. Yes, and I think if you think about what the bus operators are trying to do, they're trying to drive ridership. And ridership has been down since COVID. It's coming back, but it's coming back slowly. What drives ridership is passengers knowing when the bus is coming, what time it's supposed to be there, making sure that if there's any delays that they're informed about it so they know about it, can modify their plans. That all drives ridership, which is ultimately what the bus operators are trying to do. So you know, our data plays very much into helping them to optimise their networks, but also to provide that passenger information in real time to the riders. Those that listen regularly to Highways Voices will know I bang on about the fact that I fell into this industry running radio traffic news companies and gathering the information 20 odd years ago. One of the big changes is 20 years ago bus companies weren't obliged to give data so they didn't. It was like hen's teeth getting hold of data on buses. Now they're obliged to do it and we've got the bus open data service. Is that something you're providing? Yes, we're very much part of the bus open data service. So in the UK, legislation has made data open. So whether it's timetable data, whether it's real-time data or fares data, bus operators have to make that data available in an open format. What BODS does, a fantastic programme and indeed a world first from the 
Department of Transport enables that data to be brought together to be used for research, for innovation, for network operate, optimization, for passenger information services. So ETO is a technical partner supporting Department for Transport in BODS. Uh, so we're very proud of that program and I think it provides enormous value. Additionally, ETO provides an analytical layer that sits on top of BODS that's used by the local authorities and the bus operators to analyze that data and really get some very insightful information about their operations and about operations across the country. And so ETO World are new to the TTF and working with the TTF. What attracted you to being on the stand here in Portugal? This is the first time that we have been on the UK pavilion with the TTF. I think that's a great opportunity for us to come to Europe, to be present in Europe, to be seeing what the uh, what the companies are that are playing in the in the European the broader European markets so obviously that's a market of interest to Eto world but also just to be here on the UK pavilion is tremendously valuable there's many partners and customers even on the UK pavilion and just being you know part of the UK presence here is incredibly valuable I am Steve Berry I am executive chairman co-founder of Angoka we provide secure communications between devices our technology allows the authentication zero trust of data moving between one device to another we have many advantages over the current systems we're decentralized our data transmission doesn't go through a central exchange it goes directly from a device to another device we're very fast so very low latency and we're also quantum resistant so one has to be looking at some of these infrastructure projects which may be five to ten years out have to be thinking about what the impact that quantum computing would do to security so what's so different about transport that you need a separate service for transport you can't just use some sort of off-the-shelf cyber security solution a very good question lots of aspects to that one is our technology is actually universal so it could be applied to every device in every industry but as a startup having started five years ago as a result of a innovate uk grant that was actually for looking at new technologies and connected vehicles and our second grant was with work university looking at uh, v2x and so it became pretty apparent to us that there were lots of opportunities for us to apply our technology specifically to smart mobility and um, as a startup we could not be everything to everybody so it's not just about the technology is that you know we have a deep understanding of how the systems need to come together for security and safety compliance regulatory for areas such as driverless trucks, autonomous buses, drones. So we're also unique in the sense that we're multimodal in those areas I've mentioned in land and air. This year we're also entering the uh, space market, the satellite industry as well. Almost all UKRI funded projects now will mandate that cybersecurity is included in that project. The, the market is smart mobility as everybody says, is happening. There are projects, uh, some commercialization occurring right now, but a lot of this is in anticipation of a very large market in two years' time, I would say, and will grow from there. So we will see a, a lot of uh, smart vehicles uh, on the roads, namely, I think, trucks and, and buses. Obviously, the drone market is also taking off at the same time. Cyber will be pretty, pretty much mandated in terms of these projects. And this event here 
how important is it to you to actually grow your network of potential clients? The advantage of these type of uh, events is everybody who is mainly in the industry is gathering in one location. So it's an opportunity to meet people on a fairly efficient and effective basis. People stopping by your stand, us going to their stand or just meeting people in some of the seminars, having a follow-up. You're not going to be able to do that as much you know, on a one-to-one basis if you're sitting in the office. So the, these events become extremely valuable. And then you're also meeting people that you already know. You're meeting people that you should be knowing, if you will. I couldn't recommend such an event as much as this one. Hello, I'm Rebecca James. So I'm Business Development Executive for Navtech Radar. So, Rebecca, I'm sitting next to a genuine Navtech Radar that I often uh, will refer to when I'm interviewed and asked about, for example, stop vehicle detection on smart motorways. I'll talk about something that looks like an upturned waste paper basket. Yes. <laughs> this is what's going on inside it. What exactly is the data that's being collected? So the radar is sending out a signal and then it's collecting any reflection that that hit. The radar actually rotates twice as fast as that, but we've slowed it down to make it a bit more user-friendly to look at. It's then a case of collecting all the data across the roadway and then we can process it through our software to classify that into vehicles, pedestrian, cyclist, lorry, and then understanding their behaviours. Do we want to know if they've stopped? Do we want to know if pedestrians can't be in certain areas, wrong way driving? So it's really about collecting the data and then applying rules to that data. That's interesting. So I always think about this being used on motorways and specifically smart motorways, but it's got wider use that could be used in an urban setting. Absolutely. So we've just done a, a recently completed a trial with Smart Mobility Living Lab in urban environments. So how we can take the exact same technology but understand thoroughputs, how we can understand urban efficiency, improving the way people travel around cities. So there's there's a huge number of capabilities that we have with it, which is exciting. We know, I think, pretty much in the, as an industry about the stop vehicle detection side of things, but it's the other stuff that I find really interesting. The, the fact that we don't have as many traffic police anymore. So this kit can be used to, in effect, be a technical police officer by the fact that it can spot tailgating people driving in the middle lane when there's nothing on the inside lane, and you could use that to actually educate drivers to driving safer and better. Yeah, absolutely. It really is about knowing exactly what's happening on the roadways. I think traditionally we've looked at certain areas or a camera will look at a certain area of a roadway, but it's about knowing what's happening on the totality of your of your roadway and then to be able to make those proactive decisions. And I've been to visit your development hub in Berkshire. What is your international footprint? Here we are in Lisbon on the UK pavilion. How much are you operating outside of the borders of the UK? For such a small office in in Wantage, we do a lot of work internationally. We have a partner in Italy with Prisma and we have over 100 radar installed in the Italian highways. We do a lot of work in Norway. Um, We've actually just 
just started commissioning a project in Australia. So we really are a, a worldwide presence, which is exciting. And being here this week, I take it, is just to open up as many opportunities as possible? Of course, just to have conversations and also see, see what else is out on the market, how projects are developing. It's a real kind of education piece for us and, yeah, just to, to meet as many people as we can. Rebecca James of Navtech Radar there. And before that, you heard Paul Hudson of Now Wireless, Ito World's Deborah Kabuka and Steve Berry from Angoka. Highways Voices, the podcast from highwaysnews.com. Highwaysnews.com. A reminder, this podcast is brought to you by Highways News. We're the only place you need to go for everything you need to know about highways and transport tech. You can find us at highways-news.com, where you'll also see links to our Twitter and LinkedIn accounts, and you can sign up to our unique daily email into your inbox every lunchtime. Don't forget to subscribe to Highways Voices to keep up to date with the latest edition. We're on your favourite podcast platform. Now, four final guests here on the TTF-led UK Pavilion at the ITS. European Congress. My name's Irene McAleese. I'm co-founder and chief strategy officer at CSENSE. CSENSE is a cycling technology and data company based in Northern Ireland. And what we're doing is helping cities with never before seen data insights that can help them understand how cyclists move around their city and the things that they're experiencing in terms of their safety and their comfort. Really important data insights that are important to help transform and shape cities as we go forward. So how are you gathering that data? We're using CSEN's patented sensor technology, which is embedded into all of our products. So we have our award-winning bike lights, which use the sensor technology to react to their environment. And then we also have our our CSEN's Summit device, which integrates into bike fleets and also scooter fleets as well. So it's a seamless integration, which allows data to be sent straight from the bike to the cloud. So hang on a second. When you say bike lights, are these bike lights that have some sort of GPS in them or some sort of sensor that means that you can see where people are traveling? Yeah, so the bike lights are packed with our sensor technology. They're actually monitoring the environment of the cyclist up to 800 times per second. We use edge processing and AI on the device to crunch and analyze all of that data in real time before it's sent to the cloud. So this is why the data we collect is vastly different to something that you can get from just using an app alone. And that's why we can look at things like road surface condition, swerving patterns, braking patterns and more, um, all because of this patented sensor technology in our tech. Now this sounds like absolute gold dust for local authorities that need to understand active travel and when people are cycling, how they're cycling, what routes they're taking, what routes they're avoiding. So this sounds really interesting, but my question is, how do you get cyclists to actually use the kit that you're producing? Firstly, cyclists like to use our bike lights. They're actually not just tech for tech's sake, they're a high quality bike light. It's actually the preferred bike light to British Cycling and Cycling Ireland. So one of the things that cyclists love about the bike light is that it's daylight visible and it reacts to their environment. So if they're in a risky situation like a roundabout, a road junction, filtering in traffic, the light will react, flashing brighter and faster to improve their visibility. It's also connected, so it provides a connected experience. There's crash detection alert in there, theft detection alert, ride stats that they get back through to their app as well. Cyclists also, we find they're motivated to want to see conditions improve for cycling so there's a kind of a value exchange by by providing anonymized aggregated data insights that aren't identifying their personal journey it's really about looking at those patterns that's what is needed by 
cities to improve conditions overall for cycling. No cyclist likes a pothole. No cyclist really wants to ride on a dangerous road. And if this data can help to inform the decisions that councils are making about their provisions, then um, we find uh, cyclists are really keen to take part in our projects. And being on the UK pavilion, this means you're able to have those conversations beyond the borders of the UK? We're a really export-focused company. We've just finished our first US project. We've just finished our first project in Australia. And we actually have a project here in Portugal working with the city of Aveiro. We have a project coming up in Spain as well later this year in Madrid where our technology is actually being embedded into the scooters which are being used there with uh, working in partnership with DOT. So that's very exciting. So absolutely we want to continue on the, uh, building this momentum and working with more people across Europe. Hi, I'm Luke Normington, uh, Neology. We are looking at road user charging, mobility solutions and enforcement solutions. One of our presentations on the stand is around the uh, road user charging pilot scheme that we're doing in Denmark. Uh, with Sundenbelten, the uh, Danish Technical University, and that's around looking at behavioural changes uh, as people look to use to use smartphones for road user charging, um, looking to, ahead to the future for when fuel duty and gas tax and all those kind of things become lesser of a draw uh, and uh, that substitutes to those fuel duties needs looking at from a, as more and more EVs are adopted, for example. That's an interesting thing because I've always thought that you've got the in-car system that will be used for road user charging but you probably need some sort of infrastructure check and balance to make sure that the in-car technology is doing what you think it's doing so is that what you're offering what you're bringing to the party so we're actually bringing in a third variant to that as well in that so we're reusing some of the low emission zone technology that we deployed in 2020 so there's five low emission zones across Denmark so we're using the infrastructure side of that from a AMPR and a vehicle detection perspective but then we're building in the operational back office and commercial back office that already exists through the through that scheme but then supplementing that with the smartphone android and ios app which is then looking at how you as you start a journey it automatically connects to the vehicle uh, it automatically starts the tracking of your vehicle to then work out the distance traveled as you start and stop journeys based so on my journey to heathrow yesterday for example went through five different theoretical emission charging schemes there was the national scheme there was the southampton scheme there was the winchester scheme and different rates were applied as i passed through different boundaries on time of day if i'd have gone past uh, some of our cameras it would have done the check and balance as you say in terms of uh, the declaration of that journey did you actually did you actually go where you said you're going to go uh, did you deviate did you need a uh, route snapping back onto the route because the camera saw you somewhere else and you were one street away for example um, so that check and balance beyond the OEM automotive built-in systems it, let's be honest we all have Android or an iOS phone in our pocket and so that system is, uh, is, is, the, is the way we're going I'm interested in you talking about what's going on in Denmark when it comes to road user charging. seems like they're further ahead than we are in the UK. Is this something we in the UK can learn from what the Danes are doing? The Danes are really forward-thinking in this regard. So the uh, Minister of Transport has been given the challenge by the Finance Secretary, effectively, to say, we have got a cliff edge coming with respect to fuel duty. We need to have a data set which we can do something meaningfully with, and that's why they're investing in this trial. It's not a lot of money, but they're doing between uh, around 2,500 users over an 18-month period, and they're gamifying the process from 
uh, vehicle emissions, whether you're travelling with multiple occupants, whether you're offsetting it with your, when you use your uh, bike, for example. So they go through different scenarios to build a data set so that as and when they need to make a political decision, they've got something to ground themselves in rather than it being a, a politically minded decision. It's a, it'll be a scientific based decision. They've involved the um, Danish Technical University, the DTU, to run the data side of it in order to help them uh, give, give some uh, independent credibility to the overall data being collected. And so you're on the UK pavilion stand here, but it sounds like you're here as much to learn from other European partners and bring your knowledge of what's going on in mainland Europe as it is that you're here to sell from the stand. I think these events are really important for the ecosystem of suppliers, uh, the exchange of ideas. I was talking to several others on the stand over the last few hours and I think that exchange of ideas is a really important reason for being at events like this. Uh, I think the stimulation I've been talking to people from Japan, from the UK and Portugal and various other places and that exchange of ideas is, is something which I think we've all missed during the Covid. Uh, I think getting sort of back in in front of each other and actually just uh, throwing ideas around is a, is a really important experience sharing opportunity. Hello, I'm Francis McKinney. I'm Head of Technology and Insights at Zenzi. We want to use this opportunity to, to tell everyone really here, not just the people on the stand, but at the wider Congress, about what's happening with CAM in the UK. So in particular, we've got our CAM scale-up programme, which is relevant to some of the SMEs on the stand. We've got our deployments programme, which are real projects happening in the UK deploying CAM services. We've got our roadmap to 2035, which we've just recently published. And then also we've got the testing capabilities represented by CAM Testbed UK. So it provides a range of CAM testing facilities spread across a kind of three-hour driving region in the UK. So it's an opportunity to tell people who don't traditionally know what's happening in the UK at a congress like this what, what is happening. Is it also a bit of sort of reality management? Because I remember being at an ITS California event back in 2014 where the head of the Google car at the time, a phenomenally intelligent man called Chris Urmson, told me in an interview that within, I think it was five or six years, there would be no need to get a driving licence because your car would drive itself. And I think... The interesting thing at the CAV 4th event I was at a couple of weeks ago in Edinburgh was that there's much more of a focus on certain specific deployments such as the driverless bus trial they're doing there rather than the concept of level 5 driverless vehicles taking you from wherever you are to wherever you want to go and you never having to interact with it. That focus kind of has disappeared a little bit further down the distance of, of what we're looking to deliver. And I can fully understand uh, what you're saying. I think what you heard in 2014 was a very good description of a vision of what could be possible with the technology. Now, that is still possible with the technology. However, when you come to commercialise and you come to deploy these things in reality, there are a couple of factors that have to be taken into consideration. One is there has to be a business case for the deployment. Now, it's very hard to rationalise a business case on a national level. So doing things in a quite a confined area, whether that's the movement of goods or people, whether it's a passenger car or whether it's a mass transit solution such as Cab 4, doing that in a confined area, so it's a level four where the ODD is well described and well bounded and well understood, 
there is clearly a commercial case within that boundary for having a self-driving solution. As well as that, the technology, there's no good having the technology racing ahead. Other things also have to be there, like regulation. So until we have regulation in place that allows you to do those things on a at-scale level, we will have to do them as kind of discrete deployments, learn from those, improve our regulatory position and then we'd be in a position to be able to expand those solutions out on a wider scale. Not necessarily nationally, but maybe even taking the same solution and deploying it into different regions. Do you know what? I think we're going to have to have a completely separate podcast on this because my mind is pinging in so many different ways as to what we can talk about when it comes to CAV technology. So I'm going to ask, what will you get out of being on the TTF stand uh, here in Lisbon this week? It's the opportunity to tell people who aren't necessarily from the UK what is happening within the UK at a kind of governmental and national level. The other is it's an opportunity for us to listen and find out what some of our European partners are doing. And that's been very interesting to walk around here and see where some of the emphasis is on some of the stands, whether that's around data or connectivity or around specific automation solutions. It's always good to step back and see what others are doing and see where some of what your thoughts fit into that into that landscape. Hello, I'm Tristan Hubert. I'm an intelligent mobility engineer at Arup's Leeds office. So we're looking today to uh, make connections with SMEs to bring them into the ITS world. That's what we're here for today is to provide that service, being a larger company, helping SMEs get into this area. And being a global company with so many different fingers in so many different pies, what is specific about what you do as a job within the ITS industry? My role specifically revolves around low emission mobility. So I do a lot of forecasting and electric vehicle modelling and those types of things. So we provide a consultancy service to our clients to help them to understand how to roll out electric vehicle charge points. We are experts in our field and we provide our clients that expert insight and knowledge to get them prepared for the large EV fleet to come. And this is your first Congress, European or World, that you've attended and you've had a speaking slot as well. My speaking slot is about the electric vehicle charging model that I developed at Arup. So it helps our clients, like I said a moment ago, to uh, understand how that electric fleet is going to change the infrastructure on the streets and get them prepared for delivering that ahead of the 2030 goals and full EV uptake and adoption. Are we anywhere near prepared for 2030? That's uh, a very good question. There are optimistic views and there are pessimistic views. I'd like to be an optimist and say that we can do it, but there's a a huge amount of work that still needs to be done in order to achieve that goal. On this stand, what's your impression, having been on here, chatted to SMEs and just being part of the UK Pavilion, what's your sort of impression on what this event is like and, and being part of the TTF initiative here? So it's a brilliant event to be part of. It's, uh, it's really good to make those connections, understand what research and work other companies uh, are actually providing. And it's great to understand how we can all fit together and go for that same goal, talking about those 2030 goals. So it's uh, essentially making those connections to ensure that we can deliver that as a collective rather than a singular. 
Wow, that's a busy old Highways Voices. More from Lisbon next week when Adrian will return as well. And we'll bring you our partner news and we'll have Adrian's accolade. Talking of partners, thanks again to the TTF and Elkrig for their brilliant initiative here this week. And we'll talk again next Wednesday. Highways Voices. Join us again next week for more insights from those that matter in the industry. 